Welcome to the Ed Milet Show. This podcast is for those who want to do more, see more, and be more. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. I'm Ed Milet. Today is going to be interesting. It's, pr- it's probably one of my more difficult introductions um, because this man's accomplished so many different things. When we talk about maxing out, it's maxed out multiple areas of his life. So let me tell you his name first because it's going to sound familiar to you. The man to my right here is Marshall Silver. And hey, Marshall, brother. great to see you, Ed. Great to see you. My pleasure. And thank you for being been here. Been too long coming, man. I know. Everyone's been trying to get us together. We finally connect here today. And in researching you, that's why these intros are so difficult. He is and was the world's most well-known hypnotist. He's mm-hmm. played on all the main stages in Vegas, but on Letterman five, six times, yeah. all the late night shows. And that's how I knew you, is from back in the day, watching right. you do that. And then he's parlayed that into an incredible career and in all kinds of other venues. So I'd call you, you're an author, you're a speaker, you're a, a personal development expert. He calls himself a millionaire maker, which he's done many, many mm-hmm. times over and over again. I think you're a thought leader. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he's really a person that can teach you how to influence other people and because he's so influential. And so you're talking about somebody who's had, you know, an infomercial that's over $100 million. He's had $200 million in sales himself, decided to retire, and then started to have a family. And yep. so my favorite part about you, though, of that entire intro is the most impressive part is the way that you speak about Erica, mm-hmm. your wife. My your goddess. Lady, your goddess. Yes. Don't you love that, ladies, right? We <laughs> all wish our men referred to us and thought of us that way. And then Sterling, mm-hmm. Maximus, and Prosperity. Yeah, Sterling Silver. Got to Ster- get a point here. Sterling Silver. <laughs> uh, Sterling Marshall Silver, like his father, yet a little more refined. <laughs> Maximus Marshall Silver and Prosperity Erica Silver. It's pretty awesome. It's fun. They're and, great. And, he, and that changed your life because that sort of leads us to today to some right. extent in that really the birth of prosperity. Tell them about just your life, the, a little bit about your background, what you had achieved, and then what the catalyst was to sort of re-engage on this maximum level you've been on now. Um, I was born on a farm in Michigan. We had no running water, we had no electricity, we had no phone. I have 10 siblings. And my mom pretty much raised all the kids on her own because of just fathers coming and going. And uh, so very early on, I realized if I was gonna get anything, I had to get it myself. Mm. The second home we lived in was a converted chicken coop. We were homeless for a period of about two, three weeks in the middle of a Michigan winter. And they knew we were gonna die. And so they converted a chicken coop and we lived there for four years. And it was a great place for me at seven years old. The place had running water, had electricity and no adverse (laughs) side effects. But uh, it was great. Used to do magic shows in the barns and you know, build them into haunted houses. How old are you when you're doing magic shows? I started in magic when I was seven. Okay. And then I discovered at 10 that people would pay me to do what I loved. And I thought, oh, this is it. Right. And so I was a professional magician all my young years. Really? Yeah. And when, so how do you think, I'm curious, because you've talked about this with your own kids too. We're just going to go in and out of different things here. Because obviously today we both agree we just want to really serve the mm-hmm. audience. And, and you're just such a wealth of knowledge in all these other areas. But I know a child's upbringing influences them. You've talked a little bit like kind of ages zero through eight, how yeah. their brains Almost are still. all of our programming is already done. So how did that affect you? And then what is, what have, what's been the contrast that you've tried to do with your kids? Uh, my father was a very, uh, he was a hardcore alcoholic and a mean drunk. Mm. And when he and my mother divorced, uh, he, I would call my dad on the phone to tell him I loved him. And he'd say the first words out of his mouth would be, you little SOB, don't call me. Oh, and God. the last words out of his mouth were, you little MF, don't ever call me again. And he didn't use acronyms. 
And uh, my mother, though, was the polar opposite. My mother was, Marshall, when you grow up, you're going to be rich, you're going to be famous, and then you're going to take care of me. So she was uh, the person that would drive me to my magic shows. She would sit outside in the driveway when I went in to do somebody's birthday party. And the reason she wouldn't come in, I was 12 years old, the reason she wouldn't come in is she said, no, you're a professional. Professionals' mothers don't come into the show. Wow. Stuff with your kids comes up in your content a lot. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to watch before Mm -hmm. you had your children. Um, and uh, how much it was, you know, obviously, you know, hypnotism was a central part of it. How did you get into hypnotism? In other words, were you hypnotized yourself as sort of the, some of the trauma from your childhood or how did that all materialize? You know, growing up, we were so poor, I would wear my sister's clothes to school. I mean, that's just, way, just the way it was. Seriously. And uh, this thong is killing me right now, too. Um, <laughs> some things you get used to. The, uh, the thing about it is, is a hypnotist came to my high school and okay. I got up on stage and he flapped his arms up and down and he said, uh, when he said the words, sunny boy, I would stand up for my seat in the audience, I'd walk back to the stage, I'd fall on my own butt, I'd roll my pant legs up above my knees, I'd climb on his lap, I'd put my thumb in my own mouth and I'd say, sing it again, daddy. (laughs) And I remember going back to my seat in the audience, all my peers are there, all the other students are there, and I'm thinking to myself, there is no way in the world I'm gonna do this, not gonna do it. Mm -hmm. And he says the words, sonny boy, and I felt like a magnet was pulling me back to the stage. Walk back to the stage, I'm on my butt, rolling up my pant legs, going, I don't need to do this, I'm doing it anyway. Wow. And I get on his lap, I got my thumb in my mouth, sing it again, daddy. And I left and and I went home that night and I was thinking, was I actually hypnotized or was I just doing what he told me to do? Really? And I thought, what if he had told you to be confident, Marshall? What if he had told you to get off drugs? Because at the time I was smoked pot. And and I said, what if, uh, you know, what if he had told you to go out and be a multimillionaire and you did it just because he told you to do it and because he told you you could, you knew that you would. Oh and, and it profoundly impacted me. Hmm. At 17 years old, I had done some research and I hypnotized my first subject. It was a woman that I, I was in love with, except as a young man, I wasn't smart enough to stay out of the friend zone. So I was her best friend and I counseled her whenever she broke up with her other boyfriends. And I hypnotized her. She was my very first subject. And after I hypnotized her, she wouldn't leave me alone. I mean, just was all over me, would not hmm. leave me alone. So I kind of got hooked on hypnosis there. <laughs> but I hypnotized two more people with great success. And then the next three people I hypnotized didn't respond well. Okay. And so I didn't really understand it. I kind of thought I'd lost my mojo. Yeah. And then years later, I was attempting to figure out what I wanted for my life, not just for my job. I wanted to know what my life was going to be. And so uh, from 21 till 23, I went through eight jobs and eight apartments in two years. It got to the point where my own family wouldn't help me move. And uh, I had been doing some temporary DJ work with this other guy. We were getting paid 250 bucks for four hours worth of work each. And uh, one one day, he's not showing up anymore. And I gave him a call. I said, dude, what are you you doing? He said, I became a stage hypnotist. I said, really? How'd that happen? He told me I went and studied with this guy. He said, I said, how's it working out? He said, well, I don't work four hours for 250 bucks. I work one hour for $2,500. And I went, "Uh, that's for me. And so I, um, I found the guy. I went to study with him, a five-day course, 10 hours a day. And when I went to study with him, I sat with him, and in the first half of the day, this is the best in the world, in the first half of the day, I said, I know this stuff already. If this is what it is, I was on the right path. And so I I was up in LA, I left LA, I drove back down to San Diego where I lived. The next morning, cold called on this nightclub chain called Carlos Murphy's. Yes. And I cold called at Carlos Murphy's and went in the next morning and talked to their entertainment director. The moment I walked through the door, he said, oh my God, I've been looking all over for you. You're a hypnotist, Marshall Silver. Well, he hadn't been looking for me because I didn't have a hypnotic show yet. But he booked the show four nights a week, the show that I didn't have, he booked it four nights a week. Come on. I got back in my car, drove back up to LA to walk into the second half of the second day. (laughs) 
the, the teacher, awesome. the teacher's this guy named Gil Boyne, and okay. I always called him Yoda because he looked just like Yoda. Okay. And he's cursing, he's cursing me out as I'm walking through the door. You have no discipline. You don't follow through. You come in late. You left early. What do you have to say for yourself? And I said, Gil, I was so inspired yesterday. I left your class in the afternoon. I cold called this group in the morning. I just booked the show that I don't even have formed yet four nights a week. And without missing a beat, he says, and he's the exact reason people succeed in this business. <laughs> and uh, crazy. it was great. And uh, as they say, I've never looked back. It's just been an amazing ride. What? So, you, so you had this sort of flip switch in you where you took massive action, though. Yes, right? that's, absolutely. That, that's, that's been there. What is hypnotism? So we say this word, I think we're all listening, what happens when I'm being hypnotized and why is that relevant to personal development, peak performance, thinking, et cetera? It's not enough to learn a skill set. You've got to become someone new. So kind of like in the area of wealth, I tell people, it starts with you acknowledging that you are a multimillionaire, even if mm. the money has not yet been deposited in your bank account. Mm. Uh, I don't know what your upbringing was. I don't yep. know, you know how your youth was. Mm. We were dirt poor. Mm -hmm. So in the time that I was searching for Kraft macaroni and cheese money in the couch and the kid that lived in the house with no running water, during those times, I was a multimillionaire mm. whose money had not yet been deposited in my bank account. Oh and I think what hypnosis does so powerfully, it takes us from the place of, gosh, I sure hope so, to a place of certainty. Mm. I think that that fear of, of failing is so grand in people that they just don't do anything. You know, mm. they have a book inside of them. They're afraid to write the book because what if I write the book and nobody wants to read it? Then I'm a failure. As long as I don't write the book, I could have written a book that was a bestseller. Yes. And it's kind of like anything in life that most people just don't take big actions. Mm. You know, uh, you and Tony Robbins are great friends, and mm. I share the stage with him on a lot of occasions. Yeah. And, you know, Tony works a lot. Oh my that guy works a lot. And I got to tell you, I don't like working that much. Right. I mean, I love my work. I don't work at all. I love what I do. Yes. Except I really love this kind of time, you know, at our yep. beach house with my yep. kids and my wife. I really like that. Yep. And so years ago, I, I mentioned the Previously, I went into retirement. Um, yes. My babies were born at home in the bathtub via hypnosis. Yes. No drugs, no doctors, no pain. And when I caught uh, Sterling in my hands in the bathtub and I cut his umbilical cord and made his perfect little belly button, I, I thought the moment I saw it in his eyes, I said, I'm retiring, I'm done. You know, I've made a couple hundred million dollars. I've lived this amazing life. I'm done. Right. And then uh, Maximus was born and I caught him in the tub and made his belly button. And I'm looking to his eyes and going, yeah, boys, just the two of us and mommy, we're going to travel all over the world. It's going to be great. <laughs> and then my daughter Prosperity was born and I caught her in my hands. In fact, we, we live streamed Prosperity's birth because we wanted women to see that they have an option. Wow. Uh, my wife was wearing a bikini top and we were in the tub, you know, so shooting above the tub. I was topless though. <laughs> you got to have ratings. You need ratings. So, um, I caught prosperity in my hands and, and it was instantaneous. The moment I looked at my daughter, I don't know whether it was my upbringing, mm. uh, my mother raised her sons to be chivalrous, to take care of women. You, mm. you hold the door open for women. Mm. You do whatever you need to do to make their lives better. Mm. And so for me, with my boys, I, I knew I was gonna train them to take care of themselves. With my daughter though, the moment I looked into her eyes, I said, uh, little girls are really expensive. I should get back to work, I really do. <laughs> that was the shift that to go was back it. to work. It was, and, and I didn't know what it was when she was born. I just mm. knew I wasn't done yet. Mm. I, I think what it was, was I never wanted my daughter to be impressed by anything your son has. Oh, wow. I, I want my daughter to take care of herself. Yeah. I want her to be able to do that. Anytime you talk about it on my show, anytime a male and female issues come up, it's always controversial. Somebody doesn't like something somebody says about men and women, but I think both as fathers, we know we love our sons. Yes. And every father listening to this will attest to this. This isn't this isn't a sexist yeah. thing at all. It's just different with your daughter. Yep. It's just different. There's this part of you, I think, that wants to, I don't know, provide or protect for your daughter in a way that is just, it's unique and special. It it's is. It's innate, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, and, and I want to address that too, because yeah. 
Uh, you know, I'll tell people that story in my seminars, yeah. and I'll say, I don't care if you think I'm sexist. I really right. don't. I'm right. not. Right. I mean, that's your stuff. That's not right. mine. Right. Except, you know, if it's sexist for a man to want to take care of the women in his life, right. they would be guilty. Right. Guilty, guilty, right. Because I, I, I assume that there's a whole bunch of women who would love to take care of the men in their life. Absolutely. Right? So and vice versa. Yeah. And that, that's right. the deal that Erica and I have. Right. Erica takes care of me. I take care of everything else. There you go. Yeah. And it's not to say that a woman couldn't take care of herself or a man couldn't take of care of themselves. That's the partnership. Right. That's the whole point. Yeah, I agree. 100% yep. with you. Totally agree with you. So there's so much here. And so what I want you to know, just to step back for a second. As Marshall teaches all different levels of influence, of certainty, uh, and all the way up to a master's level, doctorate type level. Mm -hmm. In today's program, we're going to stay at sort of the elementary school level, but I want people to have a flavor of some of sure. these things too, because I feel like I practice some of the things that you teach. And there's little things you did earlier. For those of you that are listening to this audio-wise, when he was referencing earlier, so the story when he met Erica, there were some gestures you made with your hands that were suggestions. Right. What, can you tell everybody, I just want to take a term and you explain to them what it is. What's an embedded command? An embedded command, there's, there's a number of different types of embedded commands. Okay. Uh, there's geographical embedded commands, which means a, an object will expand to fill the space that it enters. What do you mean uh, by I'll that? I'll give you an example. Yeah. This is perfect. So yeah. I say to you uh, something like... Uh, Delicious, refreshing, satisfying. Ah. What is delicious, refreshing, and satisfying? The water. Water. Right. Yeah. When you're right, you're right. Mm -hmm. I got you to come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. When my hand's up here, your brain is saying, refreshing, delicious, mm -hmm. satisfying. What's he talking about? Mm -hmm. When the water enters the space, you answer the question. Mm -hmm. The other way I could have presented that was delicious, refreshing, satisfying, mm -hmm. and your brain would still say, prove it. Mm. It's kind of like if I'm standing on stage and I'm talking about mm. characteristics mm -hmm. and, and I'm pointing at a space. There was this man, I met him years ago. Mm -hmm. He was amazing. He was intelligent. Anything he was selling, I determined I was buying. And then I step into that space, I take on those attributes. Whereas if I said that about myself, people would resist it. Hmm. If I say it about this imaginary guy and then step into his space, I take on those attributes. Hmm. So that's a geographical embedded command. A direct embedded command would be something like me saying to my kids, of course you can't now eat your peas. You're not old enough. That's a direct command to now eat your peas. Yeah. So, yeah. this Guys, this is the stuff that when you watch people that are professionals at these things, it's seamless and you don't notice them. But the great influencers that I know have some level of understanding all the way up to that doctorate level of how to communicate effectively, how to transfer certainty to people. And so one of the things you talk about that I love is how important it is not only to have certainty in your life about yourself, but in terms of selling. There's a lot of people here. In fact, everyone listening to this sells. Yep. If there's a mother listening to this, she's selling her children on getting up on time in the morning or getting to school on time or being good uh, uh, moral uh, people in society. Whatever it is, everything is persuasion in Absolutely. life. And so you talk an awful lot about in the selling space though, product wise, how how important it is to work on and acquire certainty yourself about your product. Speak to that. Yeah, when you believe in what you're selling, you have a moral and ethical obligation to sell it. Hmm. And. I am a salesperson. It is what I do. I sell people on knowing, being certain in their lives. Mm. And for me, uh, salespeople, we are the economy. Mm. So when we thrive, the economy thrives. Mm. You know, velocity is the speed and frequency economically in which money changes hands. Yeah. So if I sell cars and you buy a car from me and you sell houses and he buys a house from you, 
and then it goes full circle. All that money in circulation is what makes for a good economy. Hmm. We are in right now, without a doubt in my mind, the greatest economy any of us will ever see in our lifetime. Yeah. We are on the pendulum swing that's gonna make this so good. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited about that. You know, anywhere you go, I see it at our seminars. Our seminars have record numbers of people in them. Mm -hmm. I see it on, you know, the car lots. They're busier than ever. Go to a mall on a weekend. So let me ask you a question. I'm curious about this. So you're, is there a balance between having the techniques of influence and you know, the best persuaders I know, there's, there's, a, there's a realness, an energy transfer, a heart to what they're doing. How do you navigate the balance between the technical aspects of being able to communicate certainty with people, transfer that, and just, and, but being present and being yourself? How do you not be evil? Okay. Is that what you're asking? Okay, sure. That's what yeah, it sounds like. That's a better like. way to say it. Sure. Um, you know, it does come down to ethics. It just comes down to who is the person. Uh, mm -hmm. there, are, there are ethical people that don't know how to sell. There are unethical people that don't know how to sell. Mm -hmm. There are ethical people that know how to influence. There are unethical people that know how to influence. At the end of the day, for me at least, I got to sleep with myself. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've got to be able to know that I did good. Yeah. And that at the end of the day, that's my legacy. Mm -hmm. No amount of money, no amount of anything will matter. You know, somebody watching this might say, well, you hypnotized your wife. She, she could have come out of trance anytime. She could have decided I wasn't for her at any time. In fact, one of the things with Erica that we did that is a part of my life is, is a lot of times in relationship, people will send their representative to the first few dates. They'll send the person on their very best behavior. So True. you have two people who have sent their representatives. The representatives fall in love. And then pretty soon the representatives get tired of showing up. Oh my gosh. That's and, profoundly true. Yeah, and so for me, yeah. I decided that I would do something I had never done ever in my history with anybody. I decided to be 100% honest mm. with Erica, zero secrets. Mm. Tell her the things that I thought would make her run away. Mm. And I did, and she didn't run away. Wow. And so the more I told her, the more she knew everything and was still in love with me, I realized she was in love with me. Hmm. We have zero secrets. Um, she has the passcode to my cell phone, has, can log on to any of my computers, can read my journals, hmm. and vice versa. I mean, probably would have saved Tiger Woods a few hundred million dollars. Right, saved a lot of people a lot of money. Yes. By the way, that's such a, I've never heard someone say that they send their representatives to these yes. people. By the way, some people do it through their entire courtship, yep. get married, and then the representative disappears. And Without so, a doubt. That's powerful, that's really, really powerful. So getting powerful. back to your question about influence, yeah. uh, when you believe in something, you have a moral and ethical obligation to sell it. You don't hmm. stop. You know, with the kids as an example, if you're going to sell your kids on having a healthy, drug-free life, yes. you do whatever you need to do. All is fair. Mm. For me, uh, Erica calls me her lottery. And uh, there's a video online of me at Necker Island proposing to Erica. And I kind of... That's, that's Branson's Island, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. We were on the roof of the Great House at, at okay. Branson's Island. And uh, I tricked her. I made her believe we were shooting footage for an infomercial. Had a bunch of students there, had the camera set up, we're up on the roof. I, I shoot this little piece, and then I said, hey, Erica, there's one more thing I want to do, come over here. And uh, I got down on one knee, or at least I thought I got down on one knee. She told me I squatted, and, <laughs> which I did actually. I went back and watched the video. Yeah. The, the roof had rocks on it, so I didn't want to put my knees in the rocks, so I squatted. And then I asked her to marry me. Uh, she later informed me I didn't actually ask her to marry me. I told her to marry me. I said, I want you to be my one true wife. Mm. And uh, again, God coming back into the picture. So they're videotaping. Um, while I'm asking her to marry me, I stand up and I give her a kiss. This little bird flies right up in front of us, right between us and the camera. This little teeny tiny bird just hovers right there, right at eye level, just sitting there. I had arranged for fireworks to go off on the beach after she said yes. Thank God she did, because that would have been embarrassing. No, I won't marry you. Oh, fireworks, hey! So we turn around, the fireworks are going off in front of us, and this little bird, I kid you not, that was right in front of our eyes when we were facing this way, flies around and stays right there. Oh my goodness. I looked at, you can hear me say it on the video, that's God. 
Wow. He's blessing us right now. That's who that is right there. Oh my goodness. It was magic. I, I like this side of you. I've not seen you talk. You said God several times in this interview. So I, mean, I, I, I love that. I, because I think sometimes people think that people that are very technically savvy sometimes don't rely on things bigger than themselves. So I think it's wonderful that you share that. Well, and I'll tell you the reason I do. Mm -hmm. In all things, I ask myself the question, what would be the best belief for me to have? You know, what would be the smartest thing for me to know to be certain? Okay. Um, if I'm going to enter a business, I shouldn't enter a business unless I was certain that business is going to succeed. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to get married like I did to my one true wife, I should be certain of that. Mm -hmm. And there should be zero doubt in my mind, what if this doesn't work out? Because if you had that, why bother doing it? Yes. So for me, as far as my faith in God, believing in God, there's no downside. There is a downside in not believing in God, should there be one. Right. There's no downside. I love that. And, and there's four basic steps to total enlightenment. Okay. And, I, and I call enlightenment living in, in joy, living in truth, living from a place of love rather than a place of fear. Mm. Four steps. Step number one is forgive everybody and everything, especially yourself. Mm. And not forget, because we don't forget. Forgive and choose to remember no more. Second step is that surrender. That, you know, surrender to what's going on. There's a reason whatever is going on is going on. Mm -hmm. Surrender and find your life perfect. Because finding it less than perfect is a waste of time. It just is what it is. And I know it's very zen, but it is what it is. True. Step three is, and this is the big one, utilize the things and circumstances of your life versus just tolerating them. Mm. You, you go to the airport, your flight's delayed two hours. You go, oh my God, I'm gonna be late. This is horrible. No, your flight's delayed for a lot of reasons. Maybe a flock of birds was about to fly right in front of your plane and crash it. Maybe, and this is what I always do, anytime there's a delay, I look around and go, who am I supposed to meet? Love it. Who am I supposed to talk to? Love you it. know, what's great about this? Love it. And every area of our life is like that. Yes. You know, again, I, I tell people, Erica is my one true wife. Some, some troll was online and they were trolling me, oh, that idiot's been married three times. And I'm thinking, right. and divorced twice, I'm thinking, how many times are you supposed to divorce? You know, what's the right number of times to be married? Right. Till you get it right. right. Till you do it right. right. And I am so glad that I was married, especially the second wife that was so bad, mm. because I would never know the gift that Erica is. Wow, cool. I am glad that I, I was born poor, I made millions of dollars, was yeah. foolish, uh, lost it all, made millions of dollars again, married the wrong person, lost it all. Mm. Uh, made millions of dollars again, met Erica. The economy took a big dip down, you know, over the last 10 years and uh, got to a point where my wife said, I don't care, I love you. And I look back on that and I realized for me what that was, my wife met me when I was rolling, you know, yeah. when I had a lot of money and we had two kids and then it wasn't quite so easy. And it was really hard for a little while there because I had so much uh, real estate holdings that were leveraged. And for her to tell me, I don't need this, honey, I love you. Yeah. That was another gift from God. Absolutely. Thank you. A confirmation. You're oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, the, the third step is utilize versus tolerate. The fourth step to total enlightenment, when you start doing that, you'll have so much abundance, mm -hmm. there'll only be one thing left to do, and it's what you're doing in this show. It's what you live your life doing. Yeah. Serve others. Serve others. Yeah. yeah. That is so good, brother. We're, that's the part, again, almost every program, somebody says something, I go, you need to rewind this and go back. And right there, of all of the gifts we've been offering you today, that is absolutely a gem. The other part of it, too, that I love, strategically, too, is go attack one fire. Go get mm -hmm. that one fire. I actually think that's true even in a good time. In other words, I think people underestimate how amazing their capacity is to master any area of life that they become obsessed with. Yep. Don't you think so? I mean, I, 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 somebody I, asked me, yeah. uh, we just did a seminar over the weekend called Turning Point up mm -hmm. in uh, by San Francisco. 
And somebody said, how do you overcome procrastination? And I joked, I said, I just put it off. And they said, no, really, how do you do that? And what I said was, do something. Yes. Just something on that task that you're procrastinating, yeah. do something. Yes. You're procrastinating your book, write down a paragraph. Yes. If you can't get a paragraph out, get out a sentence. Mm. If you can't get a sentence out, write a word. So do true. something. It's so true. I gotta tell you, like I, the more I've studied the people on my show, and I've, even lately, I've been in this state where I've been sort of observing myself a little more than I normally have. Uh, my thoughts and my actions. And I gotta tell you, one of the main separators I see is what you just said. It's like the people that I know that win have this capacity, this habit of just moving and taking action. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's they just take some actions. Even if it's one that doesn't work out, it's some sort of progress. Some is better than none. Yeah, I love that. Like, you know, my, my introductory talk is called Take Action Now. And I'm really? gonna give you a little more influence, a little more insight. Uh, what I do is when I come out on a stage, I might have shared the stage with Tony Robbins or you sure. or any number of people, mm. I'm there to sell things. That's what I do, I yes. sell things. Yes. It's good for me, it's good for you, it's good for the entire economy, everybody wins when people sell things. And when I come out on stage, the first thing I tell everybody in the audience is I say, take a clean sheet of paper. Take a clean sheet of paper. Mm. And the reason I want a clean sheet of paper is I don't know what was on their paper from the previous speaker. The previous speaker could have wrapped up and said, hey, write this down, don't do crap, don't do crap. So now, the whole time I'm on stage, they're looking at do crap, do crap, do crap. I don't want that. I need a clean slate. And so what I have them do, take a clean sheet of paper, and in big, bold block letters, write down the title of our talk. It's called Take Action Now. Why? Hypnotically, I want the words Take Action Now, staring them in their face the entire time I'm on that stage. And then I ask them, how many of you watching this right now even are older than you thought you would be at this point of your life? <laughs> because it's a blink. Yes. You know that, it's a blink. It sure you know, your kids are teenagers now. Yeah. I never realized how fast time went by until I had kids. No, yeah, no question about it, yeah. That is uh, one of the more profound things that I've heard, by the way. So you have them rip that, that page out and then there's a blank sheet. So what, what does that look like though? I know we're, we don't have too much more time yet, but I wanna make sure that we're serving people. One of the things you do better than anyone I've ever observed, because I notice it because I'm decent at it, mm -hmm. is you frame well. Um, and I just want to teach this technique, the elementary school version of it for people, but yep. about framing, pre-framing, post-framing. I, I think tearing the sheet out and putting a blank sheet, that is a frame. You, you frame points well. People that I think, everyone listening to this, they'll give you the elementary version from me. People that communicate very well um, help you believe what you should believe about what they're about to say or what, what they just said. And so you're unreal at this and you do it on a level that is the best in the world. I have an unfair advantage. You, you, okay. You, 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 Hypnotically, I have an unfair advantage. Sure. You know, I've, I've studied what the mind does at each stage of anything so much. Mm. I just know, I'll give you a good example. Uh, sometimes salespeople say, I have to, how do I overcome their objection? Mm -hmm. That's a good frame shift. We don't call them objections. Okay. We call them pieces of resistance. Okay. And so the pieces of resistance, if you look at it that way and you say all you've got to do is play with their resistance, mm -hmm. let them have their resistance. Mm -hmm. It's not a no, they're seeking validation. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to go a little bit further even. Um, I don't call influence getting somebody else to say yes. What influence is, and I call it irresistible influence, what irresistible influence is, is getting someone else to a point where they beg you for what you're selling mm. and have them believe, this is most important, it was their idea. Mm. When mm. they come to that conclusion, it was their idea. Like when I influenced Erica to ask me out on a date, mm. it was her idea. Mm. Like when I get my kids to change their behavior. For my children, uh, all I do almost anytime they're misbehaving, I'll walk into the room and I'll say, what do you suppose I'm gonna say next? 
And they'll say, stop running in the house. Yep. What do you suppose I'm going to say next? Clean up your toys. Okay, when you're right, you're right. It's their idea. Mm. By doing it that way, what happens is you don't have to say it. You walk into the room the next time they see you. I'm cleaning up my toys. Or you, the thought of you walking in. Mm. Now all of a sudden they're doing it on their own. Mm. So frame control is wow. the ability to take whatever it is you're selling and make it look like what they're buying. Mm. It's taking whatever action you want someone else to take and frame it in a context that they come up to that conclusion and then follow through. And there's very little resistance because it's their idea. You know, and for a lot of you listeners too, I've been in multiple generations of consciousness in terms of persuading people at different times. And one of the things that I've come to the conclusion of is that if you're trying to conceal the fact that you're there to sell somebody something, you become immediately untrustworthy. 100%. And the reason is, is people aren't stupid. They know when they're watching an ad, they know when they're being sold, they know when they're being pitched. And so I think the most important thing you can do is state your intentions. The stronger your intentions are, the more clear you are about what your intentions are, the more likely you are to get your desired result. Concealing it, hiding it, packaging it, BSing it is old school stuff. Well, and here's what that? happens, you know, if, if, if I walk out on a stage and I am there to sell, first and foremost, they know that. Right. And, and since they know that, what happens is when a person walks out on stage, the audience sits there like this with their arms crossed. What are you going to try to sell me? What are you going to try to sell me? Mm -hmm. So when you tell them right up front, and in fact, when I train speakers, I tell them when you walk out on stage in the first five minutes, you, you want to tell them what you're about to sell. Mm -hmm. You want to tell them full retail. And you want to tell them, of course, that's not the investment you'll make. Mm -hmm. Because people of authority are highly assumptive. We don't mm -hmm. ask. We tell. That's right. You know, kind of like when I, forgive me, Erica, when I when I told my wife, I want you to be my one true wife. Yes. That's kind of a question, yep. yet it's not. Yes. And so when we know what we're selling is good, we sell it. Yep. The moment, though, you tell the audience, the moment they realize he's not going to be covert, yes. they relax. You're absolutely. They just relax. They say, okay, show me the offer. So true. I call it tell-asking, but I like how you call mm -hmm. it. The best influencers that I know tell people things. Yes. People that are constantly just asking people things, this old school ideology. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask questions. You should to elicit information. But I'm telling you right now, if you're a question asker, you appear more and more uncertain every single time you ask a question and don't tell people things. You're giving away authority. You're giving away authority. You know, when you when you first encounter somebody in what I call the persuasion equation, maybe you're doing a presentation and you want to sell something, the first thing you need to do is put the audience into a yes state mm -hmm. and also get them used to following your directive. Because ultimately that's what's going to happen is you're going to give them a directive. Yeah. And so when I walk out on the stage, the first thing I say is, who here wants more money? Put your hand into the air and say, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. There's so much power in just that phrase. Number one, who doesn't want more money? Yeah. And by me telling them, put your hand up, say, oh yeah, they just followed two directives, putting their hand up and also saying, oh yeah. So I'm involving them kinesthetically and also audibly. Mm. And then How I'll ask that, another question, okay. who wants better relationship? Who wants more passion in their personal relationship? Put your hand up, say, oh yeah. Mm. Some of the people are in relationships, some aren't. So if I, when they do that, I say, hey, if, you put, if you're here with somebody that you're with, they put their hand up, you did not, you should be paying attention. <laughs> That's so then I say, who here is single? and wants to create an awesome, passionate relationship, put your hand up, say, oh yeah. Mm. And then I tell them to freeze, freeze, another directive. Keep your hand up for a second. Look around the room, see if there's anything you might be interested in. So when you can start breaking it down and realizing that small commitments do indeed lead to large commitments, yeah. and you can keep that directive going. Yes. And that's straight out of my hypnotic show. 
Okay. You know, in a hypnotic show, we uh, we bring the audience members up. Yes. A lot of hypnotists have a hard time getting people on stage because nobody wants to get on stage and act goofy. Yes. At least not many people do. Yes. When I bring people up, though, I use a different frame, just like what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I say, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand up, come forward, and fill up these chairs behind me. Once the chairs are filled, all additional subjects will line up directly behind the chairs. Number one, I'm already creating the frame that a lot of people are, are going to come forward. Mm -hmm. The next thing I say, though, is what closes it. I say, the Folks that join me on stage are the same people that are going to make the most money over the next 12 months in their business or opportunity. And the reason I link those two together is I say the same courage it takes to get up here and do something you've never done before is the same courage it's going to take for you to get what you've never gotten before. Oh my gosh. That's, this is freaking brilliant. So, okay, I'll, I want to ask you something because I know people are thinking about this and then I'm going to ask you one last question. I hate for this to end. I'm having so much fun. Oh, by the way, I want to thank you because this is such valuable information. It gives you insight that if you're getting this here, imagine what you would get later if you participate long-term with them. So yeah. thank you for being so generous with the information and not it. holding back. Because you've like really- you, Like you, I love people. I know you do. And it's you're, this giving spirit about you. And I, I love the fact that I've learned these other things, but I knew how brilliant you were. And, I, I, uh, and, the, and all these people want us to get together, but this, the, the sense of family and your faith woven into your dynamic really connects it for me. But I know people are listening to this, and I just want to help them just one little step further. They're saying, my gosh, this is brilliant stuff, um, but I don't speak in front of large groups. Most of my influence is going to be one-on-one. -on -one. Even easier. Okay, so how does what you just explained uh, transfer itself into one-on-one -on -one dynamics with people? If I'm one-on-one -on -one with you yes. and I say, do you want more money? Mm -hmm. And I nod my head like that. Just the act of nodding my head like that causes you to nod your head. Did. Um, when we, mirror and matching, of course, is a great way to gain rapport yeah. with people. What a lot of people don't know is on the other side of mirroring and matching is something called leading. Once I have rapport with you, once I start off by mirroring and matching your behaviors, mm -hmm. your body language, your gestures, your words, whatever they are, once I know we have rapport, and I can see that because you'll lean in a little bit toward me, you'll mm -hmm. smile a little more, you might even reach over and touch my leg, and you know, once I know I have that rapport, the next thing I can do is start leading. I can start doing a gesture or do a move or even like lean over like that, and you'll start responding to that. So there's literally millions of people listening to this or watching it that say, I'm at this season where I'm a little down or I'm off, I'm not on my A game, I'm not certain, maybe I'm not even sure on what I want, I'm not mm -hmm. completely sure. And if they could get a cup of coffee with you, they got a couple minutes they ran into you, which would be an expensive cup of coffee, by the way. <laughs> but if they got a couple minutes with you and they said, what counsel would you give me? I, I'm a good woman. I'm a good man. I, I, I love my children like you love your children. You know, I want to give to my family like you're giving to yours. What would your counsel be to them? There's two. Communication equals wealth. And I mean wealth in a broad sense. I don't mean wealth just in, in a monetary sense. Communication equals wealth. And we communicate in two ways, in two ways only. We communicate internally through the 1,500 words per minute going through our brain, telling us who we are and who we aren't, what we can be, what we can do, what we can have. The other way we communicate is to other people. Mm -hmm. Everything that we want in our lives that we don't have, we're gonna get from other people. Mm -hmm. So number one, you gotta fall in love, genuinely fall in love with people. You don't have to like people all the time. Sometimes people aren't likable. You gotta love them at the core though. And then you must learn the skills of irresistible influence. You've got to learn how to communicate to other people in such a way they would be inspired to want to give you what you want or carry you on their shoulders to wherever you're going. And you know, again, uh, one, of the, one of the things that we do with our kids, and we have all these strategies and techniques, is if the kid is throwing a fit, first thing we say is, are you hurt? Because if they're hurt, scream away, you know, whatever it takes except that they say they aren't hurt, the next things we say are use your words. 
Use your words. And if people would just use their words wow, and ask for what they want, it would be easier. You know, it's that, again, I don't care if you call me sexist. It's that woman who, who really does just want her man to take care of her. That's what I want. Yeah. Honey, I want to take care of the kids. Will you take care of us? Be, be my honor. It would be my honor. Mm. Um, it's, the, it's the woman that doesn't want to be taken care of. That says, no, you know, I don't want that. I'd like to have this. Or it's the guy that, that has given up on wanting what he really wants because he's afraid he'll never get it. And that, that hurts. Mm. And so they settle into a mediocre life, just barely getting by and paying their bills. And so for that person, I say, savor the wanting as much as the having. You know, you've got this amazing view here. Um, I won't drive the Rolls Royce that I have in Vegas. I won't drive it unless there's valet. And the reason I won't drive it is because I don't want to walk out and see a key up the side of my car. Yeah, I drive in the Rolls Royce and eight out of 10 people pull up beside you at the light. You know this. They pull up beside you. They go, hey, nice car. Uh, the ninth person pulls up and flips you off. And, uh, yes. you know, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I might just be the driver. This might not even be my car. Why are you flipping me off? It's that 10th person, 10th person, though, that pulls up beside you and they roll the window down. Roll your window down. Whatever you're doing, would you teach me? Be number 10. Be the number 10. Be certain that, number one, whatever funk you're in, no matter how many times you've fallen down, you can get up. Number two, realize it's knowledge that's going to get you up. Those that think govern those that labor. You gotta learn. You gotta do exactly what this show does. You gotta hack. You gotta hack other people's systems and processes and say, okay, again, the reason I, I reveal everything, all the challenges that I've gone through, being attacked by the government, uh, going through two marriages that weren't the right marriages, having a fortune, losing a fortune, having a fortune, losing a fortune, is ultimately everything's temporary. Mm. And I think that's the, the, the thing that will give peace to people. Everything's temporary. Wealth is temporary, broke is temporary. Mm. Enjoy the moment. Wow. Don't be too attached to either side of things. When my bride tells me she loves me forever, I know what she means. She loves me forever today. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow, I got to win her over again. Yeah. Same thing with my children. I, I do not want a day to go by. They haven't heard their father say many times, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're amazing. You're the greatest gift I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we, when we find a certain community, which is what you've been so great about creating you know, on, on your podcasts and on your, on your social media, you've created a community of more certain people. When you find that certain community, our job is to pour into each other. Yeah. Our job is to edify each other. Our job is to lift each other up. Because in anybody's life, it's a bit of a pendulum swing. Mm. You know, right now, we're living these amazing lives. I know you've had ups and downs. Sure. Tony Robbins, our friend, has ups and downs, and yeah. everybody does. Yeah. So you're not in this alone. Find a certain community. Find like-minded people who expect you to measure up because not expecting somebody to measure up is an insult. Hmm. You know, I expect my kids to behave. If they throw a fit in a restaurant, we're gone. Yeah. We leave. Walk yeah. out the door. It's not fair to everybody else. Yeah. I expect my wife to be a good wife. She expects me to be a great husband. Yeah. And uh, again, it's, it's about being certain that all this too shall pass. Right. That, is, that wisdom's unreal. You know what I love most about today? I knew you were brilliant. I knew you had this big brain, and I knew you had this gift to communicate. I have a big head, I do. I you know. do. Your head is large. There's a, there's a larger brain in there for sure, but I didn't know how big your heart was. And uh, I mean, I mean, I, was, I just felt that when I just said it. Like, I really have touched you. today, man. Very I really, much, man. I like you, and I'm, um, I'm rooting to, for you to influence even more people in this great season of your life. Thank you so much you today. Bet, friend. On behalf of our whole audience, awesome. I mean, sincerely, this was special awesome. today. Thank it's you so fun. much. Really, I'm grateful too.
We're going to put this up on the screen on YouTube. For those of you that are audio, though, what's your Instagram? At Marshall Silver. At Marshall Silver. S Y L V E R. Hey, you guys. Hey, listen. I know you enjoyed today's program. We got to spread the word. We're the fastest growing show in the world, but I need you to share this with more people. I need more people to get access to these incredible people that are maxing out their lives. One of you is going to win a coaching call with Marshall. The rest of you can be following him on social media. Follow me as well. Remember, every day the two minute drill on social media, everyone. God bless you and max out. The Ed Milet Show.